So Mark chapter 8, are you there? Just put your, uh, I'm not there yet. Just put your finger in Mark chapter 8. We're going to be looking at two main passages today, Mark chapter 8, and then also Galatians, Galatians chapter 5. And so if you want to, uh, thank you, if you want to turn to Galatians chapter 5 and just put something in there, that can get you there as well. So the title of my thought today is just one word. I've been kind of going with one word titles for the last little while. And we've been tracking with this, with the desire to have a greater understanding of the Spirit of God and what His role is in our lives, what His purpose is in our lives. We started with this guy named Samson and how the Spirit of God was working in his life and began to stir him. And we looked at that idea that the Spirit of God always stirs us toward the things of God. Anything that draws you in God's direction, you can know that that's the Spirit of God. Anything that is distracting you or drawing you away from a heart after God, you can know that that, that's not the Spirit of God. And so he stirs us in God's direction. And then he's also a a seal over our lives where when God places his very presence in our lives, there's this deep imprint that God has placed in your life. And it's the Spirit of God. It's his power and his presence. And then we looked at this idea that he strengthens us, not by might. Not by our own power, but God, it's by your spirit that we will be able to overcome and find victory and find hope. And then today we look at this idea of exchange. And the subtitle could be this, give and gain. Now notice I didn't title it give to gain, right? How many of you know that when we give, we need to have a pure motive? And sometimes our motives can get a little bit tainted. Scripture says this, that when you give, you are not to let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. And what that means, I believe, is that when you give, you're not giving in order to get. Have you ever had someone bless you with something and you think, hmm, there's a question mark there. wonder why they did that. wonder why they gave me that thing because it's uncharacteristic for them to do that. And then you realize, oh yeah, a few weeks later, there was a request that came your way. And you realize it's kind of a sickening feeling when you realize that someone has done that, right? Or perhaps we've been guilty of doing it as well where really the gain is what you're looking for, and you give in order to gain. And so our motives can be tainted with this idea that I'm going to give you something, but really sometime down the road I'm going to ask you for a favor, and I'm hoping that really it's, it's my gain that I'm looking for. So Scripture says when you give, listen, don't let your left hand know what your right hand's doing. Don't give in order to get. Give because you want to bless people. Give because you value people. Give because that reflects the heart of God. That's what God looks like. He gives. And so motive is important. So the subtitle is give and gain. Give and gain. Let love be your motive for giving anytime you give. I read an inspiring story of a a CEO of a company. His name is Dan Price. And he really kind of went against the flow in some decisions that he made. His company, he started when he was 19 years old. He grew up in a Christian home a homeschool family, and um, I don't think that's relevant to the story, but uh, he, uh, he started a company at 19 years of age, and it just started to take off. He's in the Seattle area. Eventually, his company grew and grew. He had about 100 employees, and he began to just think about the profits that he had, his salary, which is about a million dollars a year. He set his salary for himself, and he realized that he wanted to pass that blessing along to those who had helped his company to succeed. And he was, he was hearing stories from his, his employees. They weren't complaining, but 
But every once in a while at the water cooler, he'd hear a story of how his employees were he was struggling to make ends meet. And he thought to himself, I want to give. And so he made an announcement in 2015. This made the newspapers in the Seattle area. And he said this. He said to his employees, I am going to increase your salary over three years uh, because I want to get you to the point where your salary, every employee in this company will be making $70,000 a year U.S. And that's going to be the minimum. And he was reducing his salary from a million dollars a year down to $70,000 a year. So people who heard this said, you're crazy. You're going to hurt your bottom line. This can never work. They started calling him a socialist. <laughs> and he just wanted to bless people. And so he did this. Amazing thing happened. He didn't do it to gain. He just wanted to bless. But the result was, over the next number of years, his company grew uh, the, at revenue by 75%. He had to continue to hire because... The productivity in his company, the people were just so productive that they got more clients, and it just became this amazing thing where there was a lot of gain, but it came out of a heart that just wanted to give. His motive wasn't the gain part, it was the give part. But the result was there was a blessing that came from that. Another interesting side note of that is um, typically in his company, there'd be, you know, two or three births would be announced every year. Uh, shortly after they began to get an increase in salary, there were seven or eight children born every year to, uh, to those families. And it's because they just thought, you know, we wanted to grow our family, but we really couldn't. We, we didn't have the means, and now we do. And so even families, like the shaping of families was affected by people uh, being blessed by this act of generosity. And so this concept of giving and gaining is an important one. At times, we may be asked to give something that is valuable to us, and there's a reluctance that can come with that because we think, you know, that's, that's too much or, you know, I'm going to have to give something up if I give that way, if I give that generously. What if I'm going to lose out on something? And our human tendency, our human nature is, is to say, well, I'll give, but... There's a threshold to that because I, 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 don't, I want to keep all of these other things in my life as well. I'm losing something and I don't want to give it up. But sometimes to give is to gain. And gaining sometimes begins with giving. Take marriage, for instance. You cannot be a married bachelor. And so if you want to enjoy the blessing of marriage... You're going to give up your bachelor lifestyle because you can't be a married bachelor. But we know that marriage has some tremendous blessings. Marriage can be a, a wonderful source of blessing. We can know companionship and the joy of knowing someone intimately and being known intimately. We can enjoy the journey with someone else, sharing life with someone that you love deeply. But if you want to gain the blessing of marriage, then you have to make that decision to invite someone else into your life. And what does that mean? It means you give up your autonomy. And what I mean by that is there's now someone else in the picture other than yourself. And so you share decisions now. And your finances and your time and your resources and your giftings. You have invited someone else into your life and you share that with them. You, your desire is, is to, to give of yourself to that person. And then the blessing of marriage follows that. And if two people go into marriage with this deep desire, I want to give myself to you. 
I want to give a, a deep love. I want to give uh, a, an honor to you. I want to honor and love you and bless you. If two parties come into a marriage with that deep desire to give, then what they gain is really a byproduct. And it's wonderful. It can be amazing. But it takes two people that say, I'm going to give, and that's my motive. That's my desire. I'm not just looking for what I can gain. If two people go into a marriage looking for what they can gain, then very soon they're going to run into some very deep difficulties because the, the foundation of a marriage is giving. It's giving of myself to love you and to honor you. And what that means is I have to set my desires aside at times. And decisions are no longer mine alone. But oh, what a beautiful picture that emerges when two people come together and the starting point is to give. I want to give. And so when we give, then there's a lot of gain to be had. But it starts with giving. To enjoy deep love, we need to give love. We need to love deeply. We need to love unselfishly. To experience the joy of sharing life with someone, we need to invite them into a place of honor in our lives. We consider them more than we consider ourselves. And so there's a lot to be gained, but the starting point is giving. In a spiritual sense, this principle holds true as well. And this brings us to Mark chapter 8, where Jesus begins to teach this principle of, of giving. And there's a lot of gain that comes from that, but the beginning point is giving, giving of ourselves. Let's read Mark chapter 8, and I'm going to read uh, verse 31 down to verse 38. And Mark says this, the gospel of Mark, he being Jesus, Jesus then began to teach them that the Son of Man himself must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. He spoke plainly about this, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. <laughs> Let's pause there for a minute. So here's Jesus. He's beginning to speak about how he is going to give. He's going to give his life. He's going to die. And Peter says, hang on a minute, Jesus. Have you ever been in a, in a situation where you're in a crowded room and your spouse, your husband, and your wife says, uh, can I speak with you for a minute? <laughs> and they bring you over to the to the corner. So either you're in trouble or your children are in trouble and you need to have a little conference call about that or something's going on. They're drawing you aside because they need to say something to you that they don't want the larger group to hear. This is what Peter was doing with Jesus. He's hearing Jesus say, I'm going to suffer and I'm going to die. And he's thinking to himself, well, hang on a minute. Jesus, I, I know that you're the Messiah. I know that you are the Son of God who's come to set people free. So what are you talking about? This idea of death and suffering? And so he brings him aside and he rebukes him. And to rebuke actually means um, to kind of censor. And what he was saying to Jesus is, you cannot say those things. There are people listening to you. Why are you talking about death? You're the son of God. And so uh, this story begins to unfold. And Jesus, in verse 33, when Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter. And he said, get behind me, Satan. Pretty strong words. You do not have in mind the things of God, but you have in mind the things of men. And then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples, and he said, and this is the teaching of giving and gaining. He says, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. 
For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world and yet forfeit his soul? Or what can a man give in exchange for his soul? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, then the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels. One of the things that we learn about uh, this idea of exchange, this word exchange in this passage of Scripture, is that Jesus begins to talk about a certain exchange, and it's the exchange of the temporal for the eternal. It's the change, uh, exchange of the temporal for the eternal. And Jesus puts it this way. He says, what would it gain someone if they gain the whole world, if they gain everything that this world could offer, all of the wealth, all of the riches, all of the acclaim that they could offer, and yet they forfeit their soul, and they go into an eternity without God, without the presence of God in their lives. What gain would that be? And he begins to tell us that there is an exchange that we can have, that as we give our lives, and the imagery he uses is this. He says, if you want to follow me and if you want to actually save your life rather than lose it, then take up your cross and follow me. And people understood that that imagery was one of death. And so what he was saying is, surrender your life to me, trust your life to God on a daily basis. Your heart's desire should be God, not my way, but your way. I trust you with my life. I surrender my life to you. And on a daily basis, as we give our lives to God, then there is this eternity, this eternal hope that we look forward to. And not only that, but we can know the presence of God in our walk today and tomorrow and the next day. But it begins with giving. It begins with saying, God, I surrender my life to you. God, I want your will for my life, not my own. I've tried my own path for long enough and it's not working out very well. And so God, I come and on a daily basis, I want to entrust my life to you. I give my life into your hands. And Jesus begins to talk about an exchange of the temporal for the eternal. We could put it this way. Anyone who comes to me, Jesus said, has to let me lead. You are no longer in the driver's seat. I like to drive. <laughs> I don't like to be in the passenger seat. And I was thinking about this in the context of spiritual terms. Sometimes we wrestle with getting out of the driver's seat and saying, God, I'm going to trust you. I'm entrusting you with my life. And I'm going to trust that as I follow you and as I want, my heart's desire is to serve you, that you're going to do the best at leading me in my life. And you're going to bring the things into my life and the fulfillment that I need. But to be honest, it's hard to get into the passenger seat at times. And that's what Jesus is saying. If you want to follow me and know an eternity with me, then you need to step out of the driver's seat and say, God, I entrust my life to you. And in doing that, we exchange the temporal for the eternal. We begin to have a hope for today and for eternity. Someone said this, and you've heard this before, I'm sure. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep, the temporal, to gain what he cannot lose. This was written by a 28-year-old man who uh, went to the jungles to share the gospel with people, ended up being martyred for his faith, uh, 
killed with a spear. But this was written in his journal. And he had just simply answered the call of God on his life, which was to go and to share the good news with those who had never heard it. And he said, you know, I'm not a fool for giving up the temporal. He gave up a lot of temporal things. He didn't have a house with a two-car garage. He didn't have, you know, $400,000 saved for retirement. But he was following the call of God in his life, and this is what he said in his journal. Man, I'm not a fool for doing that. I'm not a fool for giving up the temporal in order to gain what I cannot lose, which is an eternal hope in Christ. And that was his path. I'm not saying that's a path for everyone, but the concept is the same. You are not a fool for entrusting your life to God and in saying, God, I want to exchange the temporal for the eternal. First exchange is temporal for eternal. Second exchange that we can look at as we begin to unpack this a bit further is Scripture talks about this idea of exchanging death for life. Now, that sounds like a pretty good exchange to me. And in Romans 3.23, Scripture says this, the wages of sin is death. And what, what they mean by that, what Scripture is talking about there, is death as an eternal separation from God. Yes, we will die physically. There's physical death as well. But we live on... And the wages of sin, the consequence of sin, what we reap because of our sin and our sinful nature is an eternal separation from God. But he goes on and says this, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. There is a gift that we can receive and it's life for today and for eternity where we are no longer walking in separation from God, but we can know the very presence of God in our lives and that brings us hope for today and that brings us hope for the future where we don't have to walk in fear. And scripture says that is a gift. A wage is something that is earned. When you put in a day's work, then you are paid what is earned out of that work. But when you give someone a gift, it's not because they've earned it. It's because you love them. It's because you want to bless them. You don't give your children a gift on Christmas morning and say, you know, because you've done the chores all year, then you deserve this gift. And you deserve a gift this big because you did this good on your chores. No, <laughs> a gift is freely given. And what we're reminded of this, if, if we are going to exchange death for life, as Scripture says, then it's not based on our own goodness. It's not based on what we can do, but it's based on simply the fact that we accept the gift of eternal life through Jesus. And so we can exchange death for life. Another exchange that Scripture helps us to understand is this idea, an imagery of we exchanging rags for robes. Exchanging rags for robes. Isaiah talks about how our own righteousness, as compared to God's goodness and God's holiness, they are like rags. We are... If we, if we clothe ourselves in our own goodness and say, you know, I'm a good person and I don't do very many bad things when I compare myself to the evil that I see in my world, God, I'm probably okay. But when we hold our own goodness up to God's holiness and his righteousness, Scripture says our own goodness is like rags. So when I went to Bible college, um, how old was I? I was 19 years old. And before I went, mom said, you need to learn how to iron your shirts and you need to learn how to do laundry. Now, in those days at Bible college, we had to wear a shirt and tie all day, every day. Uh, it's changed a lot now. And so it's probably important for me to learn how to iron my shirt. So I did. Mom gave me a lesson. I actually got, you know, not too bad at it, I think. And, um, and she said, you know, always separate your darks from your whites. Okay, got to Bible college. 
you know what, you can cut the time in half. You can cut the cost in half. Why separate those things out? They're all going in together. And it, they still came out white. Well, guess what I discovered? That when I got home for a break and I looked at my white shirt and I held it up to a shirt that was truly white, my shirt really wasn't white anymore. But I couldn't really tell that it wasn't really white until I held it up to something that was pure white. And then I realized, oh, that shirt isn't white at all. It's actually kind of a dirty gray. And when we hold our own righteousness up against God's righteousness, as good as we think we can be in our own strength, Scripture says your righteousness and mine is like, it's like rags. But there can be an exchange. And we can exchange our, our rags for God's robes. Um, scripture puts it this way in 1 Corinthians 5.21. God made him, speaking of Jesus, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. What an incredible exchange. That because of what Jesus has done for you and I, because he took your sin and my sin and he took it and bore it on the cross and he satisfied the just wrath of God for my sin, that I can exchange the rags of my own goodness and I can now say, God, by faith I receive the righteousness of Christ. And, and Scripture says that spiritually speaking in God's sight that you are, when you put your faith in Christ, you are actually wrapped in his righteousness. And we see our own faults so clearly. We see our own downfalls so clearly. We see our own brokenness so clearly. But when we surrender those things to God and ask for his forgiveness, then, then we are clothed now in the righteousness of Jesus. And that's what allows us to stand before a holy God someday and say, God, I want to come into eternity with you and, and be welcomed into eternity. It's not because of our own rags. It's because of the robes of righteousness that we are clothed with. And do you know today that you can exchange the rags of your own righteousness with the righteousness of Jesus. What an incredible exchange. Let's look at a few more this morning before we close. Another exchange that Scripture talks about is this exchange of darkness for light. Ephesians 5, 8 to 11, I think I have it for you, says this, For once you were full, we were full of darkness, but now you have light from the Lord, from God. So live as people of the light. For this light within you produces only what is good and what is right and what is true. And he goes on to say this, carefully determine what pleases the Lord. There's that concept again of what Jesus was talking about when he says, you know, take up your cross daily and follow me. Uh, Ephesians reminds us that that means that we are to say, God, what is it that, that is pleasing to you? God, what does it look like for me to live for you today? It means putting God first in our lives. So carefully determine what pleases the Lord. Take no part in worthless deeds of evil and darkness, but instead expose them. And so we're reminded about this fact that once we were full of darkness, but now, because of what God has done in our lives, we have exchanged darkness for light. Now this imagery of darkness in Scripture really talks about uh, the path apart from God. It talks about spiritual darkness. It really, again, reflects that place of separation from God that we are in apart from Christ. And so before we receive the forgiveness of Christ and accept the presence of God into our lives, spiritually speaking, we're walking in darkness. We're walking separated from the presence of God. 
But then when we put our faith in Christ, there is an exchange that takes place. That instead of walking in darkness, we are now walking in the light of God's power and presence in our lives. And God begins to enable us to see a new path and enable us to walk a new path. So there's an exchange from darkness to light that we have been blessed to take part in. Once you were full of darkness, but now something has happened. You are no longer separated from God. Jesus is the reason why this is possible. Isaiah 9, 2, we're looking hundreds of years before Jesus came, the prophet Isaiah began to speak in these terms, and he says this, the people walking in darkness, walking in separation from God, they have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. I love that imagery. It's like standing at the edge of the ocean in a, on a dark night, and then beginning to see the sun rise up over the ocean and the light begins to dispel the darkness. And Isaiah said that in our place of spiritual darkness, there was a light that was going to come. And he's looking ahead to Jesus. And there is light that begins to dawn and begins to illuminate our path so that we're not stumbling in darkness any longer. But we're walking with the presence of God in our lives. We're walking according to his path. Light refers to the presence of God. And John 1, 4 to 5 says this, In him, speaking of Jesus, in him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. No matter how depraved we can be in our brokenness as humans, in humanity, no amount of darkness can extinguish the light of God's presence. No matter how many times you and I fail and falter, God's light and his love and his presence can continue to offer forgiveness and hope in the midst of our own brokenness. No amount of faults can extinguish God's light in your life. If we just continue to come to him and keep our lives postured in his direction, his cleansing forgiveness is available to us. And we may think at times that, oh, I've done it now, I've, I've fallen one too many times. I've failed one too many times. And that light must be extinguished. The light of God's love must be extinguished now. And scripture says no. That no amount of darkness can extinguish the light of God's presence. And so something new is now being produced in your life. Scripture puts it this way. This light within you produces only what is good and right and true. He's speaking of the presence of God, the very Spirit of God. And so when the Spirit of God is active in our lives, this is what He produces. He only produces what is good and what is right and what is true. And we come to our second passage, which we'll close with today, in this Galatians chapter 5. So what does that light look like when it begins to work in your life and in mine? What does goodness and truth look like what is what is right? What does that look like? How is it that my life can begin to look as the Spirit of God works in me? And let's read this together. Again, so familiar. But this exchange that we come to is the exchange of works of the flesh for fruit of the Spirit. And it's so incredible when we begin to see the change that can happen in us. Galatians chapter 5, and I'm going to start reading at verse 16. If you have your Bible, why don't you join with me? 
So here we come again to a, a dimension of the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Paul says this, So I say, live by the Spirit, and you will not gratify or you will not fulfill the desires of your sinful nature. For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. They are in conflict with each other. So there is a battle, an inward battle that takes place at times in our lives where there's still that fleshly part of us that wants to go our own way, that is tempted in a direction away from God. And at the same time, there's the Spirit of God who is wanting to bring about good and what is true and good and right in your life. And sometimes there's a battle between those two things. And he goes on and says this, uh, they are in conflict with each other so that you do not do what you want. There are times if we follow our fleshly nature that we want to do good, but we don't. Verse 18 gives us some hope. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. To be under the law in the Old Testament meant that you tried to follow God's purpose for your life. You tried to follow the law, which really uncovered uh, your sinfulness. It, It made you aware of your sinfulness. But you were trying to follow that path without the empowering Spirit of God dwelling within you. And what Jesus came to do was to allow the Spirit of God to now indwell your life so that you are now enabled to walk that path of righteousness that God wants you to walk. It's the Spirit of God that allows you to walk with God and allows you to walk that path of righteousness. So he goes on and says, the acts of the sinful nature, there's a contrast that he begins to draw. The acts of the sinful nature are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, and debauchery. Idolatry and witchcraft. Hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. In other words, this is not an exhaustive list, but it's some of the things that are the works of our flesh. I warn you as I did before, he says that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Those who practice these things and are following a path where they've rejected God, they won't inherit the kingdom of God. But there's good news, verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and its desires. Since we live now by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. What a contrast. What an exchange that we can make as we come to faith in Jesus and what he has done for us. You see, the works, the works of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit, there are two different sources that lead to different outcomes. And the works of the flesh really are me. When he talks about the works of the flesh, it means the things that my life produces on my own. Yes, we produce some good things as well, but really when it comes down to it, no amount of my own strength can truly bring inward transformation. And actually, the, the deeper I look within, sometimes the deeper my sense of my own need becomes. Because the works of my flesh ultimately are not good. They are not full of truth and full of righteousness. 
because it's the rags of my own goodness that I'm trying to live out of. And it, it just can't produce the things that the Spirit of God can. And so fruit is something that is produced in me as God's Spirit fills me and works in me. And the source is different. The source is God's power. The source is God's presence. The source is the Spirit of God who begins to work in my life and in yours. And what is produced is so different than what we produce in the work of our flesh. It's amazing the contrast that we begin to see. As the life of God begins to flow through me, as His Spirit begins to work in me, then what He produces is things that are good. You know, there are some things that we have to let God do in our lives. There are some things in your life today that you have to let God change. You cannot change it on your own. If you try, what you end up is some of that first list. But if you say, God, I need to stay connected to you. I need to invite the Spirit of God to begin to work in me because I want some of those things to be part of my life. I need joy and peace and gentleness and self-control. I no longer want to live anymore out of places of just trying in my flesh to change myself. And so there are things that we have to let God do and we just begin by acknowledging our own lack and our own need and and then just coming and saying, God, I, I want some of that fruit that your word talks about. Fruit comes as we stay connected to the source and the source is the spirit of God that dwells in us. So I say live by the spirit. Let us keep in step with the spirit. I want to encourage you today to once again just be reminded that there is an exchange that you can enjoy in your life. And there's so many dimensions to that. And the last exchange that we look at today as we close is the exchange of man's perspective for God's perspective. We need to go back for a moment to Jesus' rebuke of Peter. You know, I kind of feel like Peter uh, gets picked on a little bit. And, uh, but, you know, he's just so real. That's what I love about Peter. You know, one, one moment he's saying, Jesus, I'm going to follow you. I'm never going to walk away from you. Look at those people. They might, but I'm not going to. And then he just, he, he messes up. He ends up denying Christ. But then he comes back and he's, he's welcomed again with the love of, of Jesus for him. But he's so real. In this moment, he has just, moments before, he has confessed, Jesus, you're the Messiah. You're the Son of God. I know who you are. And then the next moment, he's drawing Jesus aside and he's rebuking him. <laughs> and then he gets a strong rebuke. But really what Jesus is saying is, Peter, you don't have, and he, he says it so clearly, you don't have in mind the things of God. What you're looking at is through the lens of your own humanness. You're looking through the lens of man's perspective. And Peter, you need to have God's perspective on the situation. And, and there are times when we need that kind of exchange in our lives, where in a moment of trial or difficulty or relational challenge, we need to, instead of looking at through the filter of our own lens, we need to say, God, would you help me to see your perspective in this area of my life or in this relationship or in this trial? And Peter wasn't there yet. He needed to grow in this ability to see things from God's perspective rather than his own. If we are honest with ourselves, this is a never-ending process for us as well, where we just are always learning, God, help me to see things from your perspective. 
In fact, Jesus alluded to this when he taught his disciples to pray. They said, Jesus, how are we to pray? And you know the Lord's Prayer well. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be your name. We begin by honoring God. Thy kingdom come. This is the part where we're saying, God, I need to see your perspective. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth in my circumstance, in my day-to-day. God, would your will be done on earth as it is in heaven? And in order for that to happen, we need to begin to see things differently at times. We need to understand what God's kingdom looks like in our marriage. We need to understand what God's kingdom looks like in that challenging place in our lives. And as God begins to help us to exchange an earthly perspective for God's perspective, then that begins to open up new possibilities in our lives where we can actually see, oh, wow, I I get it now, God. This This is what it looks like to have goodness and righteousness and truth in this area of my life. And I was seeing it all wrong. And so one of the exchanges that we can have is we can exchange man's perspective for God's. And rather than hinder God's purpose and plan in our lives, we can begin to walk in in it more fully. And so this morning, as we come to a close, I I just wonder as we allow the Spirit of God to speak to us today, what exchange might be needed in your life this morning? There may be an area of your life where you say, I I need that exchange. I need the fruit of the Spirit instead of the work of my flesh. And I realize I'm powerless to change. And so I need to come and say, God, I need the work of your Spirit. I need to open my heart to you. God, I need an exchange. I need an exchange here. I need to just take up what you've offered me and I need you to help me in this area of my life. And so what exchange is needed in your life today? What exchange is needed in your life today? I just ask that we'd stand and I want to pray for us before we go. Would you join me if, uh, if you can stand for a moment and we're just going to take a moment to allow the Spirit of God to speak to us. And then I just want to pray for you today, for us, for for all of us. And my hope is this, that this word exchange will kind of be burned into your mind for this week. Because I believe there's going to be moments this week where that word exchange will come back to mind and you're going to realize, oh yeah, God, I need to exchange that attitude for your fruit. God, I need to exchange the way I've been looking at that circumstance. God, I need an exchange. I need to begin to see things as you enable me to see things differently. God, I need to exchange a place of despair for the joy and the peace that you offer. And as you walk through life this week, may the Holy Spirit bring back to mind the exchange that is possible because of what Jesus has done. And may we walk with that hope. May we walk with that desire to say, God, there's an exchange that's needed in my life today. I wonder if we could just bow our heads for a moment and I just want to pray. And then we're just going to allow you to to linger and to worship. If you'd like to have prayer, please come. But don't rush away too quickly. I really do believe that these moments of response, whether it's in your seat or whether it's coming for prayer, that these are the moments that are so crucial that we don't just walk away when the Spirit of God is speaking to us, but that we say yes to what it is that He's speaking into our lives. And so, just ask you to bow your, your heads and, and um, that we would pray today. 
And just before I pray, I just want to ask that if there's an exchange that you need in your life today in some way, that you just raise your hand and say, yeah, I, I have an exchange that I'm trusting God for. I just want to pray for you. Is there anyone? Yeah, I'm, my hand is up too. I'm so thankful that that is a deep, deep place of God's goodness is that there is an exchange we can have. And God knows what it is. He knows what you're putting your hand up for. There are things that he wants to speak to you today. I truly believe that. He wants to bring you hope, help you to live out of a different place. So let's pray. I just encourage you that as we pray, if there's something that you need to exchange, perhaps if you, if this is meaningful for you, that you just hold your hands out toward the Lord and say, God, here's that thing that I'm holding up to you and, and I'm asking for an exchange today. And God, you know what it is and I'm trusting you I'm turning to you in this moment and I'm believing for an exchange. So Father, we come to you with open hands today. I thank you for the hope that there is in Jesus. I thank you that we can exchange darkness for light, that we can exchange our own rags of righteousness for the righteousness of Jesus, that we can exchange the work of our flesh for the fruit of your spirit that produces in us only what is good and what is full of truth and righteousness. And there are some things today that we are holding up to you and we are asking and trusting and believing that there will be an exchange of those things in our lives, that we would give them over to you. And then by your spirit, God, would you begin to fill us with the things that are uh, from your hand or whether it's a perspective that needs to change or whether it's areas of our hearts that we need your work in. We lift them up to you. I pray that this week as we walk with an awareness of your presence that there would be moments this week where we pause and we just say, God, I need an exchange in this moment and I'm asking that your spirit would be at work in me. God, would you remind us of the things you've spoken to us today? That as we walk out this path of life, in relationships, in marriages, in our families, in our workplaces, that spirit of God, that you would be so active in our lives. We are so dependent on you. And we thank you for the fruit that you want to bring in us. And so it's with a great sense of hope that we give these things to you. Pray that there would be many testimonies of an exchange that's taken place today or in the days ahead or in the weeks ahead. God, that you would be glorified. We give our lives to you again. We entrust ourselves to you again today. And it's with thanksgiving that we do these things. We ask these things in Jesus' name. And everyone said.